Welcome to the Final Whistle Podcast. I am Ryan. I am taking over the show, and I am with Andrew. Andrew, what's going on, man? What's going on? What's going on, Ryan? Things are going well. How have things been? Good, man. I'm a little heartbroken. I didn't want to do this podcast so soon because of Brazil crashing out, but you know what? We got to talk about it. We got to cover it. Uh, you know, how, how, how have you, how's the World Cup been treating you? Uh, it's been good so far. Well, I was actually, for part of it, I was actually in London during some of the round of 16, got to see the Moroccan fans go out and parade and celebrate their, their, what they're topping the group and making it into the round of 16 against Spain. So it was really it was really cool to see like all the support for the nation. That's pretty cool. So it must have been a spectacle to see the Moroccans go crazy. Uh, good thing you got out of there in time to as England lost because it'd probably be a big downer out there, no? Oh yeah, definitely. And it seemed like it was a downer going in because I did go out a little bit, and it, it did, they, it did, the confidence didn't really seem there from the England fans when I was out, which was a bit strange. I thought they would really be up for it with the new generation of players they have. For, it's crazy because, like, if you compare the old English generation to the new ones, um, they play much better now, whereas the star power isn't really there. Whereas, you know, the old generation, they, everyone expected them to win. They built them up, and they just failed miserably, usually on penalties, too. Yeah, that's true. But I think with the old generation, too, they, they just straight up hated each other, honestly. That is true. Versus like the new generation, they all seem like to be best of friends. Most of them have been academy graduates together and things like that. So there's a lot of uh, genu- like genuine connections within the squad that I don't think will be broken by the normal club rivalries like the previous generation was. No, you're right there. Um, so I wanted to start off with the, uh, the round of 16, right? Uh, it's been a while since we covered our last podcast. We left off in the group stages. Uh, anything in the round of 16 that it really, you know, captivated you? I would say in a few games, in the, for instance, Senegal versus England, Saka, part of that new generation really coming out and scoring that third goal, as well as Phil Foden coming out. Again, part of that new generation really showing his stuff, really trying to cement that starting spot in the England lineup, eventually got the start against France later on. Then, as well as Kylian Mbappe doing his thing in the round of 16 against Poland, just pretty much doing what Mbappe always does in terms of just hot, top class goals, abusing his pace and amazing finishing. Then you got Portugal, where you got a new hat trick hero coming out from the Portuguese side with Gonzalo Ramos coming in with the 6 1, helping Portugal with the 6 1 win over Switzerland. And then you have Morocco making history, becoming. And then that first African country since uh, Ghana back in the day to get, make it to the quarterfinals to then face Portugal. Just making it on pens through, against Spain as well. Which, by the way, Spain, in preparation to this, since they went out on penalties in 2018 as well, took over 1,000 pens in preparation each, each player did. Still went out, scored zero pens. Absolutely, absolutely baffles me. How about you, Ryan? What what what's kind of what kind of stuff did you see on your side? Well, just similar to the Portugal uh, blowout of Switzerland, we also saw Brazil blowing out South Korea. Yeah, that was. Uh, oh, that was a good game. I I, I enjoyed it. Richarlison having the time of his life, scoring one of the best goals in the World Cup. Apart from his other, could be best goal with his. Uh, you could say it's a bicycle volley. 
scissor kick, whatever, you know, what, what he did in his first game against Serbia. This other one was a beautiful, like, juggling of the ball. Then team play. Thiago Silva, too, was the one he has, he could, uh, that assisted he him. He could genuinely have the, like, top three goals of the tournament, outside from maybe a few outliers and a couple of other games. No, I, I would potentially give it to him, too. His goals have been pretty good. Uh, Croatia, they, they dueled it out with Japan. They went all the way to penalties. Japan, great show up this tournament of, you know, beating Germany and Spain. But, a cent, you know, they just, it just didn't work for them. And they went out to Croatia and pens. Argentina, they got Australia. And if, at one point, it looked like they were cruising. But when Australia got their goal back, they almost clinched their equalizer right before full time. Argentina went through there. Then the Netherlands took on the United States. Uh, there was a lot of hype for this game. Some people were thinking that the United States were coming through, but the uh, Netherlands just outclassed them. Ended up being 3-1. Yeah. Uh, some great games overall, man. Uh, I'll tell you what, Mbappe, that guy, he is crazy good. His goals against Poland, he was, you know, it was ice cold, that one finishing where he just took his time and then just picked the near, uh, near post spot. Great Can't goal. do much about that. Lewandowski was even upset at the end of the game, to be honest. Uh, he can't be upset, and he can't be upset. Uh, I guess it's like pa- the passing of the torch, and that was like similar to like the Ronaldo's case, where this new guy comes in and he's benched, taking his spot, scores a hat trick. You know, you can't really bench him next game, can you? No, no, you you, you can't. It's it, that, it's impossible, especially with that kind of run of form, especially the run of form he had going into the tournament as well. And who who else we got? We had Kane. No, Kane wasn't part of the Senegal goals, was he? Uh, uh, let me check. I don't believe he was. Yeah, yeah, he was part. He was part of the three that got it. We had Jordan Henderson getting a goal assisted by Jude Bellingham, then Phil Foden, then assisted Harry Kane and Bukayo Saka. After that, there we go. Okay. Now, so far, some great goals there, and it kind of set the stage for some very good quarterfinal games. Uh, I wanted to kick off. I really don't want to talk about it, but we got to go over it. It was Brazil, Croatia. You're going to rip the band-aid off? You're going to rip it off? Uh, let's do it, man. All hair on it. Let's go. Let's go. I'm doing it all in one shot. Um, I was at work while I was watching this game, oh, if man. you could call it work. I was sitting in my van for two-plus hours, and it was, uh, it, was, it was not a good time. Uh, watching this game, um. If I could put it in this analogy, it was like as every minute went by, it felt like someone was in a way. It was like someone sitting on my uh, on my chest, where like it was very hard to breathe. Then you're just watching. You're I'm getting tense. It's just getting nervous. It's like this Croatia team not only good defensively, they can move the ball, and Brazil just could not break them down. And I'm like, yo, we're gonna lose to a crazy counterattack goal. I, th- I think this game really but showed that as, the midfield as, battle should not be left underrated. No, you're right. Brozovic completely marked Neymar out of this game. Uh, there was a couple flashes. You know, he was able to get him on an early yellow card, and, and I would have thought, it's like, you know what, maybe, but you know, try to send one of them out. But they just didn't really target that. And only Brozovic also had help too. Modric was really good at coming back. He dictated the play from the defensive half. Uh, that's where I, you know, my hats off goes off to him on that. 
Uh, Perisic was good too, coming off on uh, the right hand side. Was he on the right? Gotta, uh, gotta no, no, on the left hand side. He was on Anthony's right hand side. Gotta give a shout out to Kovacic. Uh, why why are we doing uh, Chelsea shout outs here? Because he was able to run the play through you guys. Like his dribbling ability, his ability no, he, to draw he, he was. He was just he was he gave he gave relief when needed. But I will say one one player I was surprised by from uh, Brazil side, another Londoner is uh, Lucas. Per- Lucas Paqueta, I was very surprised by showing for Brazil. He did very well, at least from my perspective. You know what? I've seen him play in Brazil, and, you know, he was talked up a lot, and then he went to Milan, kind of died out for him, Mm -hmm. kind of revived himself back in France. He is a great player. He could do basically almost any job in the center of midfield. And you can even put him out wide if you wanted to. Not the fastest of players, but very good to link up. Very good technical. Uh, and does have the eye for goal. I, at the beginning of the tournament, I was kind of preferring Bruno Guimarães over him. But he's impressed mm-hmm. me a lot too. And I, I think we have a good future with him. Yeah. I, when I, um, when I, going as in, the I game went Bruno into extra time, play. dude. Oh. <laughs> I thought so too. I thought so too. And going into extra time, I thought he was going to come on for Lucas. But, you know, the coach stayed true to it. He wanted to keep more offensive shape, keep Croatia pinned back. And then as we went into extra time, it kind of seemed like they, you know, they pushed him back a little bit. We were attacking more. Anthony was, when he came on, he was just like a bundle of energy. And he was taking it to them. Uh, Not so much as creating a lot of chances, but we did create some chances. And, that, uh, Croatia's goal, Livakovic, great player. I, I, you know, hopefully he gets a good move, either if not in January or in the summer. This, he's a really good goalie. Oh yeah. Guardiol, I think he's linked with Chelsea. He was solid he, with Lovren in the he, back. He got linked to Real Orna Madrid. Sosa, he, he was another he, he great player. Up the links that he has now, he's now linked to Real Madrid. Guardiol. It's crazy how like one or two games in the World Cup can really highlight you and just like showcase you to the world. But yeah, uh, 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 like I said, hats off goes to Croatia for handing in their defensively. But as Brazil were like trying to look for that goal, it came through in such a one of the most Brazilian ways possible. Neymar charges up the midfield, does a couple of one twos, essentially gets it back. And he still has to dribble out the goalies and does it so calmly and then roofs it into the net. Not even even 10 seconds later, Javon is calling me. And we're celebrating that goal together, man. But then one thing is going through my mind is like, yo, it's not over yet. This is Croatia and they're still a good team. And, you know, second half, I would have thought he would have made more defensive changes or at least instructed the players to either move the ball to the opposite side quickly to transition either just to the wings, to keep it out of the central areas and time waste. But as the second half went on, Croatia made more offensive changes. They pressed higher. And one of the things that was the most damning for me is you have Danilo who swapped sides as Alexandro came on. He was, who's not a hundred percent fit, mind you. Uh, he took out Eder Militao, which I thought he was having a decent game. He was also cramping up. I get it. Danilo is also not 100% fit. But one play, Anthony gives the ball away. I believe we have about like five or six minutes to go. You have Fredge, who's pushed up along with Danilo. That whole right side is exposed. Mm-hmm. They counterattack through that side. 
ball gets crossed in, and a gentleman uh, by the name of Petkovic just scores it. It was their only shot on target, and it happened to be the equalizing goal. I'm like, holy shit, bro. Excuse me for cursing, but <laughs> it was one of those, man. It just, you know, when I was oh, giving you the analogy of, like, my breath just, like, I just, you know, it just felt like I couldn't breathe. And then when Neymar's goal went in, it was a big sigh of relief. And then just uh, the hands to the neck again. It's like, I can't breathe anymore. Like, what's going on? Reversed. Then I figured if we go into penalty with this team, we were going to lose. If there's one thing you don't do, bro, when you're going into penalties – is go against a team who has a keeper who's red hot in penalties. Oh, and yeah. he, you know, he he pulled off some pretty good saves in the Japan game. So, Mind you, there were meh penalties from the Japanese. So I do have to. But go ahead. I do have to ask about the penalty strategy. I got two questions for you. But first, I'll ask about the penalty strategy while we're on it. Yeah. Do you think putting Rodrigo first to get this kind of goalkeeper in this kind of form was smart versus putting someone more experienced out just? more guaranteed to put away similar to Argentina strategy where they just put Messi up just to get it, get set the tone. So I'll answer it where I remember it was, uh, the, I think it was the 2014 world cup where Ronaldo's, uh, Portugal, Ronaldo, he was supposed to go fifth and I believe Pepe went third or fourth and missed his penalty and Ronaldo didn't get a chance to go cause they were eliminated. Mm-hmm. So similar situation here where, Neymar was to go fifth, you know, the star player to get that final goal. But guess what? It didn't come your way. Now, strategy-wise, I believe Chi-Chi, because in this World Cup, uh, the rules were you can change your players at any time versus you have your list of players to go uh, in an automatic, uh, you know, in a penalty shootout. So whether or not choosing Rodrigo, he already subbed off Vinicius Jr., Uh Pedro, he was our other striker. He converted. I believe he com- yeah, it was Pedro, Pedro that converted, converted his as well. Pedro and Casemiro converted Marquinhos Listen, and Rodrigo. If you're... Correct, yes. Um, back on the Rodrigo, because I keep on sidestepping it. Um, if you're playing for the Brazilian national team, whatever comes your way, penalties, putting a starting for the team, coming on last minute, the pressure, you know, you should already know what the pressure is like to put on that yellow jersey. I don't believe Rodrigo will be deeply affected by this. I think he'll bounce back, similar to like how Saka did in the Euros of last uh, last year. Uh, I think he's an incredibly gifted player. He's, you know, it is a setback for him, but I think this, you know, how it's a make it or break it. I think this, I think he'll make it from it. He'll be a great learning experience for him. Um, it wasn't a big deal because it was the first one. Yeah, it does set the tone. And Croatia's penalties were all like pretty good, too. <laughs> like I said, credit to them and their penalties, man. Um, then when Marquinhos went to go take his penalty, I thought he was just very unfortunate. He got the right way of Livakovic, but it's just a little bit too far to the left. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely unlucky. And, yeah. and you had a second question. Yeah, and I, my second question was that: Do you feel like Neymar did enough for the team, given that he did get the clutch goal in this in game this, and that, and what he contributed during the run up to this game? 
You know what? In previous World Cups, 2014, I thought he was our star guy. Essentially, he succumbed to injury. 2018, he didn't come into the tournament fully fit, and he was our our main man. All the play went through him, and it just was very slow. And th- that's how Brazil plays. It's very slow. You know, bring uh, slow down the tempo, control the game, bring them to us, and then we'll break them down on the other end on transition. This World Cup, we it was very similar to the 2018, where a lot of the teams that faced Brazil just they sat back, absorbed pressure, try to wear us down mentally, try to frustrate us. Mm-hmm. And with Neymar, he's central to all of that. He's central to dictating the play, especially since he wasn't playing on his left wing. He was playing more centrally. He could dictate the play. M- more on the right-hand side, more on the left-hand side. He could free up those players. and But he needs a good center forward to do that with. He had Richarlison. And Richarlison was good for him because he not only would press a lot, he could he would help link up the play with Neymar. I wouldn't say he's the best fit for Neymar, but he was a good fit. Now for Neymar, in this game, I didn't think he had a particularly good game up until the goal. Because the way the goal, he it was one of those where he just broke the defense down. You know, he just sidestepped Livakovic and, you know, and I thought it was going to be the game winner there. But unfortunately, they didn't hold off, uh, hold, you know, hold the game out, or see the game out. They didn't hold the ball in the second, uh, that second extra time as much as they should have. They didn't waste the time. I, I felt like at that point, Neymar as an experienced player, he would have, at least had sensed it too, where you know the game's not over yet. Stop holding on to the ball as much, move it around. And to actually answer your question, did he have a good World Cup? I thought he did. Uh, it could have been better. And he said he might not play again. I, I, I feel like that's a little bit of a crocodile tears from him. I think he'll be back. He'll be 34 by the time the next World Cup rolls around, and he'll probably still. Hopefully, he'll. St- They'll play and he'll be in good shape. Yeah, hopefully. Because the longest answer to your question, by the way. No, I hope and I hope that is answered. That he still <laughs> keeps on playing because he is a he's a privilege to watch players like him play. I can say that. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, credit to Croatia, and you know, we'll t- we'll go a little bit more about them uh, next game: the Netherlands and the Argentina. I'll, I'll have you start with this one. Yeah, Netherlands, Argentina. So, I actually was watching the last three quarters of this game on my flight back from London. I literally just landed, and I was on this giant mm-hmm. customs line, and I thought, what what else was better than put on the World Cup game since I'm going to be here for another 45 minutes anyway, just waiting online. So, it was pretty great to watch. I By the time I joined Argentina, we're already up 1-0. Then eventually I saw Messi score his penalty, his inevitable goal. I, like the, the, enigma, the enigma that is Messi is absolutely ridiculous this tournament as well. Three goal contributions just from the round 16. He's come alive this tournament, man. Yeah, it, it's been mad. It's absolutely been mad. Every game he's getting, he's the driving force for Argentina. It's absolutely crazy. But then we see some of the probably best, probably some of the best comeback one of the best comebacks of this tournament where with Woot Wegros getting a goal in the 83rd minute. Then in the in the dying embers of the game, in the 111th minute, in the last minute of extra time where Messi was just given a yellow card for trying to time waste and 
yell at the ref and things like that. Netherlands probably run the set piece of the tournament through Argentina. Perfect set play right outside from the edge of the 18. Instead of shooting, they decide to pass it into their big band striker, and he just tucks it away. It was absolutely textbook off the tape training ground, and it was fantastic to see. Through that, they end up defending their, through for their lives to get, get all the way to Pens, where unfortunately the Netherlands fell through through the inevitability of Argentina's penalty-taking skills. And mostly through Emilio Martinez, shout out to Arsenal, who missed out on that. End up selling him away, who's then also saved two pens. Yeah, we did. <laughs> but he, to be fair, he saved a pen yeah, from. Uh, I'll Chris tell you what, Emmy's been immense for them. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. Uh, yo, I, I, I'll tell you what, that last minute play uh, in regular time, and they're lining up for this free kick, you know, no one. Not even no one and their dog would have seen that play coming. They, they had and a similar free kick. You would think it's like, yo, you gotta shoot this. They had a similar free kick around ten minutes right before as well, and they just went straight for the shot, no hesitation as well. So the mind games to just know to do that for that second free kick as well was just absolutely brilliant to me. I wonder if the coach knew about what they were gonna do because if you if you know if you're about to line up for a shot. And you just see the ball getting passed. You you know you're just ripping your hair out. And I believe the coach is already has no hair on his head. Oh no, Louis Van Gaal. No, he does have hair on his head. Uh, you know you would think the that's a balding moment for him though. And Veghorst, this ex Burnley player, I think he's still on their books. I think he's out on loan to Turkey. Mm-hmm. It gets his double, sends him into extra time, and you're thinking, yo, you're coming down from two goals. Momentum is all in your favor. For everything that's gone on in this match, I believe it was like sixteen or seventeen yellow cards. The 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 I, the, uh, the bench is cleared two or three times in this match. But I believe one time uh, when uh, Paredes, he not only he hack, uh, hacks a player down with his challenge, but then proceeds to blast the ball into the Dutch bench, and then you just see uh, Van Dyke coming up to him, checking him to the floor. It, it, uh, those kinds of melees, well, people two, don't think that you know they don't, uh, it's not good for the game. Oh, they they probably should have. I thought Wait. the referee lost it. Oh. But those kinds of things in 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 sport is what I love: the competitiveness, the can, you know the chippiness. Can we touch on this real quick? That, because I believe that's something that's really mm. integral to sport as well, especially with the uh, celebrations as well, too. For instance, when players take off their shirt to celebrate World, important World okay. Cup goals, to me, in my opinion, that shouldn't be a yellow card. That should be something that yeah. should be celebrated to that extreme. And same with Brazil's dance celebrations. As long as you're not trying to put the opponent down and you're just celebrating the achievement, I feel like there's nothing wrong with that kind of competition. But... No, I, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, being, you know, as a Brazilian, that's dancing is our culture. Exactly. And I, after the South Korea game, because, you know, all the players were dancing, they held it up together, dancing in the form of the pigeons uh, with the coach. And, you know, we were kind of ridiculed for that. It's like that, that you know, when you score your goal, you, you should be able to express yourself in whatever way you want, as long as you're not provocative and being insultful to the other exactly. team. And I get where some 
cultures will look at it as like, oh, dancing is disrespectful. Okay, if if you don't want us to dance, then don't let us score. That's the one way I'll look at it. And I feel like con- that context um, and is in terms of you're adding that. I feel like context is very important when you're adding that cultural connotation to it because if you know – if this is in an international tournament accepting of all cultures and you know where that where that dance is coming from, the culture and context behind it, then you clearly know that it's what its intent really is versus – for instance, if it, that dance came from a separate culture where it was meant to be more offensive, where that wouldn't be allowed because of what is meant behind it. It's simple as that versus anything else, in my opinion. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Dancing is, I mean, uh, it can't. it's not offensive to anyone when someone's dancing, you know, in a, like a party, exactly. for instance. So in a sport where it's just goals are very hard to come by, it's hard fought. Uh, a lot of these games, you know, for the most part are, what, one nils, two ones. You only get one or two or three goals every 90 minutes. These players deserve to express themselves how they should. As Like I said, as long as it's not insultful to the opponent or to the world, I believe the player should be able to express themselves, especially if dancing. You know, it, it does create a little bit more of um. It brings the joy, to, you know, to the people, and people, you know, they'll, they'll make videos of it. They'll, sh- you know, they'll dance to it. it, it you know, what, what would a Ronaldo celebration w- would be without the few, you know, or if you know if uh, there wasn't a samba dance at the end of a Brazilian goal, or another one that comes to mind is James Rodriguez's uh, his little salsa dance. I thought it was, you know, his dances are fun. Mm-hmm. And not to, um, and, not and to, I also wanted to touch up on your the shirt off celebration. Go ahead. Yeah, I was actually going to bring it right back to that. Not to touch on Brazil again in terms of a loss, but with when Cameroon scored their one goal against Brazil, and how much that really meant for them. And then yes, he ended up getting his second yellow for it, and I was just like, he deserved yes. to celebrate that. That was a very important goal in their history. I'll tell you what. What he's, that's probably the best walk off I've ever seen in in football. Uh, the man, you know, he, I'm I'm sure he knows he's on a yellow. He takes <laughs> off his yellow card. I mean, I'm sorry, his his shirt. He knows he's gonna get it. He's celebrating his heart out. He and he put he knew he got his team a, a win there. Now, what he didn't know is that I think at the time the Swiss were either winning or drawing. Now, if the Swiss had lost and Cameroon racked up another goal or two, they could have potentially went through. That that was a, po- a potential scenario there. But, you know, I think maybe hopefully the rule does end with, you know, with Abubakar, and we'll call it the Abubakar rule, where they uh, players are just allowed to uh, take off their shirts as long as they put them back before the ball's uh, reset into play. I don't see an issue with it. I think they should get rid of that rule as well. Yeah, I hope they do implement something like that. That would be very liberating for the sport. <laughs> Speaking of yellow cards and rules, uh, there was a potential, you know, no, no, not a potential. They're messy when I believe he already was on a yellow card. He handsballs it. It's so, it's so obvious that he does it and doesn't get booked for it. And people are saying that the tournament is rigged because of that. Where do you, where do you see? Where do you, what's your opinion on that? I mean, I would say it was a very in the in the moment you could understand how the messy bias could just 
influence a ref to do that on like an isolated situation. I don't think it's a very, I don't think it's like a rigged moment against our, like for for Argentina to win or anything like that. Because I feel like if they wanted a storyline like that, then they would be pushing Portugal through. Like, why is Morocco making it this far? It's not profitable for them to have Morocco make it this far if they're going to really try and push their, that kind of storyline. So I, I guess I was just thinking about it like oh, that. I don't more, think the green Portugal, lines up with it. Just this. a sec. No, uh, there, there has been a huge backlash uh, on the agenda where like the refs are very much favoring not just Messi, but uh, I guess like a lot of the plays in Argentina because there were a couple instances in that game, especially when it got chippy, where one or two of the Argentina players could have potentially, probably should have been sent off. The Paredes one really could, that one comes to mind, where he, you know, it's very unsportsmanlike for you to just. He knows he knew what he was doing. Oh yeah, I agree. That should have been a double yellow card offense to me. But again, when the ref loses the situation, I can see how in that like isolated moment he doesn't give out all the cards he's supposed to. Especially when he's not given the liberty to like watch it back at all. Then I kind of get that. But I don't. I I don't believe that there's like an agenda for Argentina to win the World Cup. Mostly just because. Each time, each individual moment, I feel like I could understand why, where it went wrong, where the where the ref lost control in each situation, versus it being like completely so, un- unexplainable. So, uh, with a lot of the refereeing decisions, I felt like he didn't have um, as much control as this game. There was at one point where Messi was talking to him at halftime and it was an extended conversation mm-hmm. where I guess Messi was giving him his piece and hopefully that didn't influence the ref. Personally, I don't think a ref should be talking to a player, especially in the World Cup uh, quarterfinal match for an extended period of time. Like It just doesn't look good. Um, you know, a player, you know, it's not the player's it's, job as well I, to just give you that, your insight of what's going on. I, I completely agree with that, but that is also like a privilege not unique to Messi. Like you could, like, like certain players of that status will have that mm-hmm. ability to get away with things like that. Should they be able to? No. But they definitely have the privilege to abuse those kind of powers. Oh, uh, but like, for instance, Ronaldo could get away with that kind of conversation if he really wanted to. Yeah, unless you know Ronaldo, I don't know if he could be too bothered uh, with the rest unless it's yeah, if it's not going his way. Yeah. Um, this game though, the Argentina Netherlands when it went to penalties, Emmy Martinez, like you said earlier, he came up huge for them, and the opposite of you know the celebrations and whatnot when you you know you're dancing enjoying yourself is. The English say it as shit housing, where you're mm, just taking you know, the piss out of them. It's unsportsmanlike, you know. Yeah, taking the piss out of the of the opponents. Um, you know, Emmy Martinez just talking smack to every player that came up to him. Even the, um, um, I believe his name is Nopert, yeah, who was also talking uh, smack to Messi right before his penalty. And then when Argentina saw their penalty shootout and. Lautaro converted the winning one. The Argentinian players, there was a screenshot of them just all of them running forward, but looking and taunting the the Dutch players as they were running by. 
I was no, like, that's just wrong. That's yo, just wrong. <laughs> it is wrong. But in a way, I, I, I like it and I don't. First off, it's Argentina. They, but it's my rivalry but with them. I shouldn't say it's, it's so wrong, long. but I feel like there's definitely a better way to get the same thing, to get the same message across to them without being so such a dick about it. <laughs> Correct. Because, uh, you know, karma, it comes back. You know, karma works both ways. You, you give some and you take some. And trust me, like they'll have it come in one way or another today. Like facing them and get, like celebrating in front of them intently like that just gives them more power of how much under their skin they got and how close the Netherlands really were to like beating them, in my opinion. Correct, yeah. To me, you should just celebrate it on your own. No. You would, like they were nothing. And that would treat the, and that would really get the message across to them and make them feel worse if you really that if that's your goal. Well, hey, listen, it was it was a great game to watch. I, I loved every aspect of it, you know, from um, the the shit housing, the the goals. Some of the goals were pretty good. The penalties, the lead up to it, all you know, the benches clearing. It was a great game to watch. It was, it was absolutely you know, it was fantastic. Spectacle. Messi again with an assist and a goal too. <laughs> Just consistent. Yeah, this guy, I'll tell you what, man. He's coming alive. He's you know the Messi train don't stop. It, it'll go all but the thing way. Thing is, you know, you know what uh, might be the downfall of Argentina and the difference between them and France is that in the France versus England game, Mbappe was allowed to have a very quiet game, and they still won. Can that happen with Argentina? Correct. Um, their players would need to step up, but I f- it's difficult to say because I feel like similar to Brazil and not so much Portugal now, but back then when they had such a, re- a huge reliance on Neymar and Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. is that they do have a big reliance on Messi. And unless someone else steps up, uh, if, they dis- if France or Morocco... You know they nullify Messi. I could see it becoming very difficult for them. And speak, but speaking of uh, France, let's let's get on there. Yeah, we got the the French uh, maestro himself. Do you want to start that one off? Too many coming in with an amazing goal from outside the box, really showing why Real Madrid scooped him up. Great really goal. wish Chelsea just bought him out for forty mil when we could have back in the day, but you know we keep missing out on these opportunities, so we move. Then we have Harry Kane tying it up with a penalty in the 54th minute. But that's not until his arch nemesis from Arsenal, from previous Arsenal and Chelsea ties, haunting the Spurs men again to then score in the 78th minute to then put France into the semifinals. As well as Giroud extending his record for as France's all-time top scorer, like, he, is he like the most underrated striker that's out here right now? Because he, he's breaking like really huge records. And he's winning trophies pretty regularly with he the is. teams that he's playing for. It's, it's kind of wild. Listen, whatever he didn't do in 2018, he's doing it now, man. <laughs> yeah, clearly. clearly. So what were, you, what were your thoughts but, uh, on England going out in this game? I feel like they put up a really good fight, but ultimately it was just... France was just the better team on the day. But I feel like if you ran it back, even you know, England could definitely win like five times out of ten, I think, at least. 
I thought this was one of those like technical or not technical tactical games where France did con- control England a bit, uh, and England were looking to score on transition, and they looked dangerous at times when they were pushing forward. Saka, I thought he was their best player. Mm-hmm. He was looking good. Phoning a little bit on the quieter side. Uh, Bellingham and Anderson, uh, they were they were good. It, you know, they did what they could against France, but France, the way I think they focused too much on Mbappe. While they did keep him quiet, Griezmann, I think, was pulling all the strings yeah, there. Yeah, he ended up with that assist. And I wouldn't say... Well, two assists. <laughs> yeah, he, he was popping up all over the place. Uh, I think he swapped a lot with uh, Dembele. He was very central. Sometimes he would go on the left-hand side while Mbappe, you know, rolled in centrally. Or he at times I, I would see uh, Rabio. Uh, you know, Rabio. he was another underrated player for this France team. He was good along with Chouameni. And, of course, Giroud. Giroud is just that focal point. I think that's what Mbappe needs, you know, someone like him for him to just thrive. And, like I said, while the all the focus was on Mbappe, it let these other players just, you know, kind of, like, highlight their skill set. Uh, I, I thought England were good. Uh, I just – I do believe they could have been a little bit better. And, you know, they they had the chance to come back and – I think I had uh, texted to you guys earlier where you could take Kane out of Spurs, but you can't take the Spurs out of Kane. I mean, that's very simple. that second penalty miss, it really bit him in the ass. And I couldn't agree more. You know how I am about uh, my belief in Spursism and how how much of a poison that is on different teams. I mean, as you look at – if you you look at the Argentina team, they take a little Celso out of that midfield and look how good they're doing. They have Romero in there, but – Consider him an exception because he joined Spurs when Conte was there. So that's a bit of a different mindset that he's going under. No, you're right. Um, I wanted to touch up on the penalties that France conceded because the first one, I believe it was Saka, and I believe it was uh, Tio Hernandez or was it Opamecano that tripped It was... um... I believe it was. Oh, I think it was Upa Makano. I think Upa Makano was the first Upa one, Makano. and then I think the second one might have been Hernandez, and that's why he got the yellow. Maybe I'm, I forget. Okay. Well, it was great play by Saka too. Like the way he attracted players uh, from he truly France, wanted, yeah, because he created a lot of space on that hand side. I thought I thought you know it was he had a great game and then the second one Tio Hernandez the way one of the things I've never understood is when the ball's coming over like that and you're just not looking at the ball you're just looking at the player what is going on through your head because the flight of the ball is kind of going slightly away towards goal and Mount is well, Mount you know he's doing his job he's looking at the ball he's trying to get to it at least shepherd the player a little bit try to get yourself in between the player because instead he just lunges at it and just takes out Mal. i'm like come on you, why are you gonna risk you know a, a, you know a repeat at the you know your second world cup so some of these you know some of these decisions i just don't understand but from oh some yeah of these france players. was begging but, for it at that point in all honesty they're begging for it to get knocked out yeah you know, i then there was a running joke saying, it's only Mount, you know, he's not going to do anything. 
you'd be surprised what Mount can do. He's ends up as every coach's favorite. It's really not like, it's just universal at this point. So, I mean, just a lot of really good, really smart people with really good opinions of him. So pick and choose who you want to listen to. Do you think, uh, <laughs> do you think England were unfortunate not to get anything out of this or was it more France just the better team um, I think ultimately France were good enough to get through I think there was enough to make that gap but I think that with a little bit going a little bit more going England's way they could have made it for instance they were just one missed penalty away from going into extra time and really pushing it down to the wire and who knows what really can happen when you get down to that point who knows what happens when France gets pushed to that point and if they'll crack or crumble or if they'll make England crack or crumble. We won't know that now because France were able to get it done within the 90. One side, one side. All right. And then there was uh, one more game. It was a game that preceded this one, Morocco versus Portugal. Mm-hmm, yes. uh, Morocco, again, they stunned. Oh, they stunned Portugal, man. It was a... It was a thrilling match. Uh, I was watching these uh, this game with uh, my friends. They're all Portuguese. And I'll tell you what, the tension in that room when I was watching this game, it's like I don't even want to look at them. Because I, in a way, I, I kind of felt it, man. They were upset. Uh, but this Morocco side, valiant, great defending. You know, this was a team effort from Morocco. I'm not saying that Portugal aren't, uh, you know, didn't put up a team effort, but it was kind of like foreshadowed by the whole Ronaldo thing. Will he start? Will he? Won't he start? With this whole club situation, mm-hmm. so you kind of uh, kind of drew storylines there between the two teams, and Morocco just stunned once again. Just took out another European heavyweight and here. It was textbook as well. Uh, what would you think of this I game? I thought it was a textbook win for Morocco. They sat in deep every time they counterattacked and moved forward. It was intricate play. Very well done. It was like they knew where they were going to be in the spaces that they wanted. It seemed like they were very well. They practiced those types of passes at those angles very well, too. And then the goal that they got was just very clat. Like, Jose Mourinho would be so proud of this team if he if he was the coach of them right now. Yeah, yeah, he the would. The way they scored that goal with that kind of head. No, man, you're you right. And then just holding it off for, for, for the rest of the game. Like no, no one scored against Morocco this entire tournament except for themselves. They had an own goal. Like they, they've been monstrous and <laughs> and events. <laughs> like and they've, it's been gone, going under the radar the whole. Do time. Do you think that form will continue? I think it has to stop eventually. You think that defensive it? form will continue in the next game? I don't. I'll, it has to stop eventually because when you're I'll running you up what, against it'll be Mbappe, one hell of a story. When you're running up against Mbappe and Dembele. With Coleman on the bench, I feel like there's no defense that can defend against all three types of players. Like, they'll eventually make chances. Maybe they can defend well enough so that the people that they're making chances for don't score or something. But you're playing with, you're, play, you're taking a flip of a coin at that point. And I feel like that's what France's advantage is that they always make you flip that coin because they're going to make a chance. They're going to make a good chance every game. No, you're right there. Uh, you're right on that point. You know, they, their chances were limited. The goal that they had to, uh, I believe, in Nasiri, when he scored, uh, I was watching that uh, that goal, and I saw the goalie. I don't know how he misread it so badly to where he didn't see the player towering over 
uh, I believe it was Pepe. Mm-hmm. Either no, no, it was Ruben Diaz. He towered over Ruben Diaz. How do? And he gets behind Ruben Diaz. How do you get behind the defender? You should be in front of that. He should have made that save. Or if, if anything, uh, hopefully. I don't think you would allow your defender because he, he, he had the time to come out and jump. So, yeah, no, no. He sh- he went for the ball, but he mistimed it completely wrong. Yeah. like, I, Where, Where's your thought on, on I, their goal? Ultimately, I just – I think it was just that – I think it was just awkward enough of a ball to just put in that area of uncertainty where the goalkeeper thought they could get it to the and they moved out, instinctively tried to get it, committed themselves, realized they needed to get it, and – because they didn't put their all into it, because it was in that such an uncertain spot, they yeah, ended up making a mistake and missing it. I feel like it was more in the delivery than anything else, because it just it was put into an area that confused the goalkeeper. It's in a space that he wasn't comfortable with. Yeah, um, I'll tell you uh, when that goal went in. From the TV, you just hear the stadium erupting, and then <laughs> yeah. from the living room side of things, you just uh, all my friends were just cursing. Oh, why? Why did that goal come in? Yeah. What is the goalie doing? You have every home fan uh, it was, in it was, Morocco now. Everyone in the Arab world, and now every most African nation. Oh too. man, They're, I feel like all their games they've been at home. Essentially, like, the, the Moroccan faithful they came they out. Came man. Heavy. They came heavy, and now the rest of Qatar. Saudi Arabia, everyone else is going to be rooting for them as they push on through this tournament. And uh, Now, for Portugal, when they were trying to fight their way back, like, so in this game, very chippy too, similar to the oh, Dutch yes. game, uh, the Dutch and Argentina, where Morocco would just break a lot of the play down, uh, their plays, you know, these like little fouls here and there. Mm-hmm. And you saw it, it frustrated the Portuguese. You know, they brought on Cristiano Ronaldo. I thought Ramos was a very ineffective today. João Felix, he looked pretty good. Bruno, you know, he was also looking good, but they didn't have they didn't have enough to pull this, you know, to pull those strings. They couldn't break Morocco down. They that I thought, you know, Morocco just frustrated them for the entire ninety minutes. They had a couple chances, but their goalie came out big too. Oh, Bono, yeah. guy, guy's solid in goal, man. I think he's another player that deserves a move along with that uh, with Amrabat. I, you know, he, he's he's a solid goalie. Yeah, he's been doing Hakimi really well. and Zayek on that uh, right hand side, great plays. I'm I'm wondering why Chelsea don't play Zayek a little bit more because he he's, I, he looked like a really good player this time. He tournament. joined at a very awkward time for Chelsea, and honestly, for me to explain that, we we need a whole separate pod. <laughs> <laughs> Those Chelsea and Arsenal pods are coming soon, oh, man. Oh yes. But, so yeah, no, I definitely agree. With that Morocco, that they ended up beating Portugal. Yeah, they they beat Portugal one zero. Um, after the game, uh, there was a lot of um, I guess you could say sour grapes and belly aching. Uh, because the majority of the referees, uh, you know, the the assistant refs, the VAR refs all hails from Argentina. And that was the big topic here is that why would FIFA allow uh, a team that's already in the competition, you know, from that nationality to referee their game. And some people thought it was the whole Messi versus Ronaldo debate. Okay, I get that. But 
I also thought it was a bit strange too uh, to have them referee that game. Uh, maybe, I don't know if there could have been some bias there or not. Personally, I don't believe that any referee decisions led to Portugal losing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the breakup of play does affect it in the long run. But I don't think they had much of a clear shot on goal. You know, I thought it was more Morocco being brilliantly defensively. What do you think of the def- uh, the referees? I would say for this game in particular, there's not enough evidence to like strongly suggest that there's some kind of agenda. Again, on the, on the just on the day, Portugal, I don't think just did enough to get quality chances on target against Morocco. They didn't do enough to frustrate their defense, and I don't think the refereeing decisions made the difference. However, I do think that it is a conflict of interest to have uh, refs that hail for the same country as like a competitor on the other side of the bracket refereeing a game, especially when there's a surplus of refs that you can pick from from different countries that are available to ref the game. So, I, I unless there's like a legit crunch on refs for some reason, like I don't see why that that would need to be the case for that specific game. No, I see your point there. Because in the Brazil-Croatia game, we had Michael Oliver. He's English. I don't think he influenced the game and to any point to where, you know, maybe he preferred Croatia. I don't think that was... I never got any evidence of that. And I believe in the France and England game, the ref was Brazilian. Same thing. I don't think he has a, has a really care of, you know, who's going through as long as he did his job. Um, I do, do believe the referees in this tournament... They're either too VAR dependent, or they're just uh, some of the rules, especially a lot of the penalties early on in the tournament. They were just they were just handing them out left and right, and I, I do feel like I know leagues have like different standards and yeah. how they officiate the games, but I want to say if, if FIFA has to start nailing down what's the actual refereeing uh, like guideline here because. Rules tend to keep on changing a lot, especially as we introduce more and more uh, more technology into this. And I feel like either the gray area gets very thin and it, it becomes black and white, or it's just it's a big mess and the referees don't really explain themselves after the match either um, to why they make certain decisions, whether it's subjective or objective. But I do believe the referee in this tournament have been D at best, you know, whereas in Russia, I thought they were A, especially with the introduction of Yeah, and, and I would say it um, is surprising, the refereeing standard, especially the time it took to, for everyone to kind of do the group stages, assimilate to to like a specific refereeing standard, where now we're kind of seeing the same calls throughout each game, but it kind of took only to like the quarterfinals for everyone to really understand that, versus like that just being a normal, like the normal rules of football being executed. Gotcha. All right. So, uh, hopefully, you know, we we always expect to change for the the rules. Um, not the rules, but the referees to you know to not be such of a talking point in every game. Uh, you know, hopefully, there's you know, there's still two more games to go in this tournament. Uh, one of the games that was played today, Argentina Croatia. It was a great game, but especially for Argentina. Uh, Croatia, they ended up losing 3-0. Messi, once again, pulling the strings. A goal, an assist. Almost a second assist for that second goal, too, pretty much. 
Yeah, he, you know, he, he, he came alive once again. I'll tell you what, if this message train don't stop, it will go all the way. And what I believe that's what, his fourth goal of the tournament. He's equal with Mbappe now. Now, it's it's starting to set up the great storylines here. What would you think of this game? I thought it was just classic Messi. I mean, Croatia in the beginning and throughout most of the game did pretty well to, to keep Argentina off their backs, per se, and put some good pressure onto them. However, Croatia weren't able to create quality chances, and that ultimately pretty much let Argentina feel comfortable in this game. They got their penalty goal, then the quick Julian Alvarez goal right after, and that really made them very comfortable for the rest of the game, eventually opening them up for that third goal from Alvarez. Again, after Messi essentially just bullied his way through Gravario, absolutely turned him, made him no <laughs> longer a transfer list target for Real Madrid and Chelsea anymore. Though they probably give him a pass because, again, it's Messi. So might allow him that one. Rightfully said, man. Uh, I was I was a bit disappointed with Croatia. Um, so I have a, me being Brazilian, I have a huge bias towards Argentina. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking at this, this was not the same Croatia team that played Brazil on Friday. You know, after they conceded their penalty, I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe they'll still stay strong in the back and they'll try to you know break up play, try to frustrate Argentina. Yeah, they got to chase the game at some point. But I wouldn't have counted them out. And then they go and concede another goal. Oh, man. Julian Alvarez looks like he just runs straight through the middle and toe pokes it past the goal. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah, he, he got a little bit fortunate because it bobbled in front of him. But I thought that goal was way too easy. It's just I, I thought they lost a the plot there. Uh, maybe they shouldn't have pressed so highly up. I, I felt like all their goals were just on transition. Yeah. Um, and it was it, it wasn't the same Croatia, and you know, credit to them for their run in this tournament. They haven't. It's not the same Croatia of 2018, but still strong side nonetheless. Yeah, ultimately, I think what with what you're saying about the Brazilian game is that they put it. I feel like they were just a big gas because if you compare Argentina's round of 16 game compared to Croatia, I mean, um, Croatia's um, quarterfinal compared to compared to Argentina. Croatia essentially had 120-minute games against Japan and Brazil leading up to this, compared to Argentina, where they had a pretty Correct. much a breeze through Australia in regards to like the level of running they had to put in, and then a relatively tough game against no, the right Netherlands. There. So, so I feel like Croatia just came in a bit more burnt out ultimately. No, you're right there. Uh, I in a seven-game tournament where they're spaced around three to four days. Fatigue and fitness are one of the biggest things, along with um, you know your talent in your squad, how you know how skilled your players are, and how tactically ready and the mindset. And once fig- uh, fatigue starts kicking in, it starts l- it starts taking away that uh, that skill set. Start it starts evening the playing field, especially if it's on both sides. But you're right there, two 120 minute games penalties that uh, that is draining on right there and. Uh, I, I see your point there where they could have just just lost their gas and uh, you give Messi space like that and it, this was his game to take and boy, did he take yeah, it. Yeah, because I think one, one of the factors that Argentina has and it's something that only like a few teams have like France and Portugal maybe back in the day too 
is like the superstar factor where you have a player on your team that can just win you a game regardless of your team's form or who you're against. And when you have that going for you and you also are gassed from the previous two games, I feel like it just it adds up for a bad recipe. And when those goals were popping in, it sounded like the game was in Bombonera in Buenos Aires. Uh, man, the Argentina faithful, they they came out in waves as well, man. They It, it felt like it was a home game for oh, them. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to see who is going to meet up Argentina in the final this Sunday. Because uh, tomorrow we have one more game. We have France and Morocco. What are you expecting out of this one? I, I'll give two answers. I, I, What I'm hoping to happen is I hope for Morocco to pull through and become the first African nation to make it to the final. I want that historic achievement. There we go. I want them to make it through. And I think it would be pretty hilarious to see a Northern African team beat France in the semifinal too, just from like a reverse imperialism perspective. I thought I just think it would be hilarious. Okay. But what I think will actually happen is that Morocco will play their low block and then Dembele will find a way through it and pass and get an assist to score or something like that. I feel like Mbappe might have like a an okay game again where he won't be able to be able to do much. He'll be taking up sp- he'll be opening up space for everyone else to be able to do something and score essentially and he'll be kept quiet. And um not really sure how many France will score, probably just two. I don't think Morocco will be able to score against France in this game. I think their legs are going to be a bit too tired. I think they're going to—they're not going to be able to have the legs to really be able to. They're going to have to essentially pick one or the other in terms of scoring or defending here. All right, so I've, I've kind of—I'm uh, going to take your ideas here. I'm going to put—I'm going to parlay all of this. A Dembele assist. You're saying Mbappe is not going to do much, so I'm going to put a Giroud mm-hmm. goal. Because someone's got to score yeah, his assist, right? I'll so Giroud's going to score. Yeah. He's he's on fire. And you're saying it's a 2-0 game to France. Yeah, I don't know how the second goal so, will come So, you know through, what? I'm going to parlay that. Hey, maybe it might be a known goal. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe Morocco be, will just leak in one goal. and the, you know, Morocco's the only one that can score the, you know, that right now. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll tell you what, uh, I know Morocco's are heavy underdogs in this one. Um, they've slayed already three of uh, the big European teams, Portugal, Spain, and Belgium. Belgium was, uh, while they're they're not the same as what they were four they're years ago, team. you know, it's still a good accomplishment on their end. But, yeah, but they are. Tougher than beating um, Morocco? Oh, yeah. Ooh, I, I don't even want to touch on the Swiss because... Oh, I'll say that Sour Grapes, you know, against Brazil, they looked amazing defensively, but against Portugal, you know, they decide to let in easy goals. <laughs> but whatever, that's, you know, that's my take on that. But, uh, I feel like you're mad they didn't get uh, Morocco. Um, <laughs> I just felt like every team decided to, you know, hey, let's just, you know, not play against Brazil. Let's just defend and frustrate well, the crap the life, out of them. Except the South Korea. South Korea, fans, I see so you, Congratulations. <laughs> Anytime a goalkeeper comes against <laughs> us, that's the life for us. <laughs> You're thinking, okay, their goalie is doing pretty good. What is our goalie not doing here besides conceding the one goal on the one shot that they had on <laughs> exactly. us? You know, let's switch goalies here. 
let's switch our perspectives here. But no, uh, uh, Morocco, uh, I hope they put up the same kind of fight. You know, I, I'm sure that they're gassed as well. Uh, France, they, you know, hopefully they could come up with a strategy to stop Mbappe. I really would love to see it if Morocco could go all the way I through. I think they can. But and then set up that final date with I think Argentina. They, I think Morocco can stop Mbappe, but it's going to take too many resources to do so. And then that will open up spaces for others. And France has too much quality everywhere else for them not to score at that space. Well, France have been scored on. Um, I'm not saying that they they're easy to score against. No, they got some really good defenders there. Uh, but it's not impossible. And we've seen already some defensive mistakes on their end, where it's giving away stupid penalties, lunging in. Um, you know, it, it's not out of reach for Morocco to score. They, you know, if they could frustrate them, if they can just cut off the supply of attack, I'm sure they could probably nick in a goal. And, you know, maybe I, I, it could be one of those 1 0 type of games for Morocco. So it could be one of those. Let's pray for it. Because I know we're all mood, uh, rooting for Morocco. I'm, nothing against France. It's just we love that underdog story, don't oh, we? Yes. So, given that we have Morocco, France, or Argentina for the final, should we get our way till uh, wait till the finale? Given given the suspense. So. So it's safe to say, you know, we could all agree on this. Our hearts all say Morocco, but we're saying our mind is going with France. We, we know they're going to probably just overpower the Moroccans. Not overpowering a 3-0 battering like Argentina did, but the quality will just see them through and they'll set up that day in the final against Argentina. All right. Um, looking forward to the final. Oh yes, going to be over at uh, your place. It looks like by 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 the looks of it. Listen, man, I'm hosting. Uh, I'm hosting. You and Javon can come on through. And Javier, where you know, if you're listening to this, <laughs> man, get that next plane ticket. Come over here. Yeah, Javier, you got to get up here. Uh, but man, hey, listen, this was uh, this was a good episode. Uh. We'll be doing another episode just after the World Cup, uh, giving you a whole overview of the tournament. Uh, I want to say we should have Javier there. I know he's been ducking and diving us throughout this whole World Cup. He's on vacation somewhere. Javon, he's out. You know, he's with us in spirit, and, you know, we feel his presence. But, you know, let's let uh, let's, let's go, Morocco. I'm, I'm rooting for y'all, man. yeah. Um, so any final words before we close this out? Uh, the team with the least amount of Spurs players will win the World Cup. That, that, that is the last that thing I will leave for our, our listeners today. That is bars. No Spurs player will win a World Cup. I like that. Look, if they, if they do, then it's because they're carried by Messi. And that's just, he's just an enigma. So... The only force in football to He's have his, his own first entity. player win, besides a transfer. <laughs> so, being on Messi real quick. Um, 
So the reason why he didn't get a yellow card for his handball is because he's a goat and goats don't have arms. Yeah. Oh, so it's just basic biology. I get it. The ref, the ref had it right the whole time. Yeah, we were just there it is. Ones. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, man. All right. Uh, listen, Andrew, thank you so much, man. Um, so hopefully I'll see you guys Sunday. We'll watch this World Cup, have some good laughs, and we'll see this out. Uh, for the Final Whistle podcast, guys, please uh, follow us at the Final Whistle. Uh, there's no E at the end, uh, one zero. So Final Whistle 10, no E. And then if you guys ever wanted to get in touch with us, uh, there is the Final Whistle 2022 at gmail.com. If you guys ever wanted to get in touch with us, you know, seek us out. We're always available. Uh, my name is Ryan and Andrew. Andrew here. Can't see you guys next time in the finale for the World Cup. See you guys later. All right. We're over here at the Final Whistle Podcast and we're clocking out. Peace.